When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Answer Report podcast is brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash answerreport to get your free 30-day trial and audiobook download. One who knows nothing can understand nothing. Plunge deeper into the darkness. And your heart will grow even stronger. Good tidings and welcome to the Ansem Report podcast. This is the Ansem Report number 11. Here with me today, as always, is my brother Jason. Hello. I'm Mike. The Master Masters Addison won't be joining us this week, but that's okay because we got a lot to talk about this week. So let's just get right into it. But before we do, actually, I lied. We're not going to get right into it. I just want to say thank you to all the people that have been rating us on and uh, on iTunes. Yeah, giving us good ratings. Thank you to everybody that's been subscribing to the channel and commenting on our podcast and telling us what a great podcast it is. We really appreciate that. Thank you. We're actually going to answer before we're going to talk about the Sleeping Realms theory today. But before we get to that, we have two different comments on the YouTube version of our podcast that we need to address. The first one is from El Per Per. Ooh, El Per. I like that name. I like it too. I love this podcast. You guys are amazing. Wow, thank you. Aww. For a future video idea, I thought it might be fun for you guys to rank organization members, old and new. Well, El Pepper, mm. we have a treat for you. We we have been, this is something I've been thinking about for a while. Uh, your, your idea is fantastic, and we are going to include it in this. We will be having, for our 13th podcast. The 13th episode. The 13th episode of the Answer Report podcast. So this is the 11th. Next week's the 12th. This will be the 13th. We're going to have an organization-only episode where we just talk about the organization. And organization we will, 13. We will rank all the members. All members. Of the organization, oh old God. and new. There's going to be some heated Which, debate on this. I, I already yeah. know. We're going to come. We're each going to have a list. Hopefully the Master of Masters gets on this. You but, can't tell me Cyax isn't the best in the organization. We're each going to have a list, and we're going to, we're going to be going... At each other's list and arguing. Does and... Shion count and Roxas count? Yeah, uh, yeah. Roxas was a member. Shion oh, was a member. Ansem gosh. was a member. Oh my god. Riku Replica. So there, oh. there's a lot of wild cards in there that oh are like, my oh my gosh. Axel, I mean, Axel's got to be top five, right? Uh, yeah. He's got to be top five. I mean, you got to memorize, you know? Top five, top five. Um, yeah, so that's what we're going to do for the 13th episode. We appreciate your comment. And uh, we're we're gonna have some more organization surprises for that episode because it is the thirteenth episode of our podcast, and I it would we'd it's be a thirteen <laughs> we'd be a miss to not do it like that. <clears throat> Next comment is from Chloe, and she says, "Love the podcast, guys. Thank you, Chloe. Thanks, Chloe. Just wanted to know your thoughts about the timeline of the Kingdom Hearts series. The Dark Seeker saga started all the way back in two thousand two, and now that we're coming into a story that's post Xehanort." Do you think it'll take the same amount of time to develop and conclude the next big bad guy? And we're actually going to answer this question right now. We're going to let's, let's, mm, let's get to it. Okay. How what what do you think this next series of games is going to do for us, Jason? Also, <sighs> I I want to point out uh post Xehanort sounds like a really awesome music type. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we're kind of like we're not really post punk, we're more post Xehanort. <laughs> I don't know why, I just really like it. I think I want to start a band that is classified on iTunes as post Xehanort. And, may, you know, Syax as Isa, he's post Xehanort. <laughs> right? <laughs> who, who else is, uh, I mean, Ra- you could say Roxas, Shion, and Lee are post Xehanort. We're all post Xehanort now. Yeah. Everyone is Except now. Ericus, he's stuck with that guy forever. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's pre-Xehanort. Or current Xehanort? How do you, how would... When he's Xehanort. When you're using pre and post. He is Xehanort. <laughs> yeah, he's Xehanort. <laughs> anyway, so Dark Seeker Saga started back in 2002. I would argue that the Dark Seeker Saga actually started in 2006. 
Mm. Like, despite what Nomura would tell you, Kingdom Hearts 1, he had no idea that he was going to do any of this. Yeah. No. And even in the the Ultimania stuff we read recently, like, he was kind of like, oh, I always thought that Ansem, you know, he seemed like this scientist, but he also kind of seemed like a bad guy. So then I decided to make him a second character. And it's like, see, he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. But for for completion's sake, we'll say it started in 2002 with Kingdom Hearts 1. Do you think we're going to go from 2002 to 2019, 17 years? Do I think like the next saga is going to be seventeen take years? That long? I don't think so. I don't either. No, I'm thinking like eight. Oh, you think it's going to be that long? Yeah, dude. I think Kingdom Hearts is Kingdom Hearts three printed money, and they're going to be on it. I, I'm thinking it. like not like a yearly release, but like every other year. So maybe more like ten years. So you think for like five games? You think there's going to be five games in ten years? Yeah. Uh, that's what I'm hoping for. I don't think so, buddy. Yeah. That's crazy talk. I can see it. Yeah, you're, and you're talking... Especially if they're like, like, yo, Kingdom Hearts 3 popped off. Well, you're talking in an era where there's no handheld system to throw these smaller games on. So we're going to get all cell phone games. Yeah, I'm hoping so, for all so, so your games. What I what I see, if there really is five games in ten years, oh. I just dropped my phone. Two of those games are going to be like real titles, and the other three are going to be cell phone games, or they're going to come out for the what's the Google thing called the, st- the I don't Stacia, know. I, do, the you, do you not think there could be like a a decent game on the Switch? The Switch isn't a handheld. Like the Switch is a handheld because you can take it anywhere with you. Right. But the Switch is not a handheld for game development purposes. Okay, I guess. Like you, you could do a game, smaller game on it, but people would go, "Why?" Yeah. For for development purposes, it's not a handheld. I see what you mean. Yeah. May, maybe they're just streaming games on the new Google. Did you see that today? No. We're we're recording this on a Tuesday. Google announced their console, and it's all streaming. You just buy the controller. Wow. And it has a lot of teraflops. Terra flops. Yeah, there's f- Terra's flopping all over the place. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> uh, but it's an all streaming console, so they could just stream the Kingdom Hearts games. Okay. Um, hopefully that's not the case because I don't think most people would get to play it then because I don't think th- our country has the infrastructure to have um, 4K games stream oh, all yeah. the time. I think this Google thing is going to fail. Anyway. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to see. I think, okay, the way I see Kingdom Hearts is a lot of how I like see the different sagas of Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm. And I think we just got done with Frieza. Okay. Right? We're going to get something that's more a Garlic Jr. style thing going here. Do you think so? Yeah, I really do. It's going to be a much more contained saga. And then we're going to jump into something a little bigger, the Android cell business. Okay. That's what I think. I think that makes sense. You think the Master of Masters storyline is like going to be wrapped up in the next saga, or no? No, I think the Master of Masters... Okay, don't get me wrong. Like The Master of Masters will be involved in the next thing, but not super hard. Like, and then he'll. You don't be think it'll the, be like he's Cell, you know? But he's gonna pop in and say hello and do okay, <laughs> do weird things. Do a heart symbol with his heart hand. symbol with his hands because only he would do that. He's the only person wacky enough to do something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, it's a hard question to answer because it's like we don't know what's coming, and you know, if we had had two sagas from Kingdom Hearts at this point. Then it might be a little easier because they're like, oh, they got a formula, they got. But I think a lot of what they did was out of necessity, and and you know what I mean. Like I don't know, it's it just they just kind of were like, we got to release games because Kingdom Hearts three ain't coming anytime soon, so let's make all these handhelds. But there ain't gonna be no handheld. So how how long do you think until the next game? Till Kingdom Hearts four, the next game or Kingdom Hearts four, both. The next game will come out in 2020. You think so? Late 2020. Okay. And it will be... Or they'll do the... Psych! The 13th month of 2020. Yeah, yeah, 2021. Uh, (laughs) And it will be something to do with what Sora got himself into in Shibuya. Okay. Do you think it will be resolved? I don't think it will answer any questions that we had at the end of Kingdom Hearts 3 other than what happened to Sora. Okay. Do you get what I mean? 
I could see that. And then Kingdom Hearts Four. Kingdom Hearts Four. Once they finish, which I mean, twenty twenty three. I don't know. I, it depends on when the Final Fantasy Seven remake gets done. Because Nomura has a big hand in that. And he, I mean, he does so much. Like he, he's, he's pretty, he's, he's pretty much everywhere in that company. He's like their, their main, no offense to anybody else at Square, but he's like their main, like game, successful game designer guy right now. You know? Yeah. It's like Konami. They had, um, God, why can't I think of his name? The guy that made Metal Gear, Kojima. They had Kojima, and now, and then they had uh, Iggy. Shit, I can't think of his name. The Castlevania guy. I don't remember how to say his name. I don't know. But anyway, they had them, and they're both gone now. And then Konami just like literally does not make video games. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like Square Enix is like one Nomura walking away from not being able to make video games. (laughs) They'd still publish their American ones like Tomb Raider and Just Cause and all that. But yeah. It seems like he has to be involved in every project, and that's kind of crazy to me. Because I don't feel like... I mean, Miyamoto is, like, involved in every project, but more, like, overarching. You know, he just, like, kind of produces. He's just like, oh, yeah, I don't like that, or I like that. All right, and then he just comes, and then he leaves. Yeah. Where I feel like Nomura is, like, he is, like, the... Like, he draws them. He draws characters. I mean, he drew the cover art for Kingdom Hearts 3. Right. You know what I mean? You couldn't have got someone else to do that. But no, he wanted to. You know what I mean? So it's not even about, like, he's just that guy that works himself to to death. You know, like, uh, I'm really bad with names today. Uh, The Smash Bros. guy. Sakurai. Did Did you see that about Sakurai, that he had an IV? He got sick during Smash Bros. development. And hooked himself up to an IV for fluids, what so he wouldn't have hell? to stop working. I swear to God, this is a real thing. That's crazy. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. He said, "I'm sick, but I want to keep working because this is important to me." And so he hooked himself up to an IV, like a maniac. I respect it. I do too, but like, at, like say I'm behind on YouTube stuff and I get sick, I'm not hooking myself up to an IV. I love doing this, right? But it's more but- like it's more like it's like. Your whole, like, career is dependent on it. You know what I mean? If I was in their shoes, I think I would do the same thing. I don't think so. I think I would. I don't think you would. I think I would. I if it was, like, my would. life's work and, like, but here's my the thing. career. It's not dependent on it, though. He could have taken a week off and been fine. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, like I don't think anybody from Nintendo was cracking a whip on the man. He chose to do this. I don't know. I feel like if it's, like, it just depended on how, like, how much I want to get that stuff out i guess i don't know we're on a weird tangent because we're talking about soccer right now but right i just i just think my point was nomura he's so involved at square enix with so many different projects unless he lets somebody else handle kingdom hearts or he lets somebody else handle that other stuff which i don't see either of those things happen right we're gonna be waiting a while for kingdom hearts 4 okay i think they want to get some kind of spinoff out sooner than later so i think like i said 2020 i think that's possible but Late 2020. I, I don't think it, it won't be a January release. Like I, I was thinking 2021 for the first one. Because, yeah. I mean, especially if they're working on, like, DLC also. That's true. That's very true. They are working on that. So It, it just I, depends on how much DLC. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So maybe 2021 is a little better. Uh, maybe I was being optimistic. Oh, no. I feel like it won't be. It's not going to take as long because it's like they're not going to make a whole new engine and everything. For like this one game, and then make a whole nother engine for the next one. That's true. You know, it's going to be. Well, the I don't same. know. We're pretty close to the next gen of consoles. They might. I feel like they're going to release at least one more, and then just re-release it on the next one if they do that. Maybe I don't know, man. It's tough to say. I don't think they'll make a whole nother engine. I mean, I'd be down for another Kingdom I mean, Hearts like... game <laughs> that like it's like like the Majora's Mask to. Ocarina of Time, you know what I mean? Where it's like kind of the same, like a lot of the same assets, but right, they just yeah. make a new story. No, that, that's why I was thinking is more right. some along those lines. Yeah. That I think that has the power to come out 2020, 2021, but something else like that, I don't know. Yeah. If they're redoing the the like engine everything, I think it's gonna be twenty twenty one at the earliest. Yeah. It won't it won't be that soon if they make a new engine. Yeah. It'll be twenty twenty three. Probably twenty twenty four, whenever the world ends. It'll be something like something that. Something like that. Anyway, thank you to Chloe for the uh, question. We love questions. Uh, and thank you for listening to the podcast and, and saying that we're a good podcast because we like that too. Thank you. Thank you. You are you are the best. Anyway, 
I did forget to mention, if you want to ask us a question, you can do that by commenting on the YouTube video of this podcast, if you're listening on YouTube. You can email us at ansomreportpodcast at gmail.com, or you can hit us up on Twitter at Spaghetti Bros and just say, hey, talk about this, you, you dum-dums. You... I want to hear you talk about this. I want to hear you talk about Roxas's clothes. Why does he have wristband with checkers? <laughs> we'll talk about it. We'll talk about we're it. Weirdly Eastern European man, we will talk about it. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to dive into the Sleeping Realms theory. Oh, That's what it's called, right? No. I didn't, I didn't yes, s- no, you're right. You're right. I, I always say it's Sleeping Realm theory, the not realms. Sleeping Realm. Sleeping Realm theory. Theory. Sleeping Realm theory. If you want to follow along, we're kind of going to read through it and also talk about it. If you want to follow along, the link is in the description of this podcast, whether you're watching on YouTube or uh, if you're listening. So uh, get that ready while we take a quick break and hear from our sponsor, Autumn. Hey, Jason, I have a question for you. What? Do you uh, like books? Uh, kinda. What do you mean, kinda? I can't read. Oh, no. Well, guess what? I have a solution for you. Oh, picture books? No, that's stupid. Oh. Why would Why would you want that? I like, you know how long I a can't. book would have to be? Do you want to read a novel with picture books? You know how long an artist would have to work on that book? A long time? Yes, we don't have time for that. But what we oh. do have time for is beautiful voice actors reading your favorite books. And you know where you can get that? Where? Audible.com. If you go to audibletrial.com slash Ansem Report and you're a listener of the Ansem Report podcast, you get a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook download. Wow. Isn't that amazing? This serves my very specific problem where I like books but I can't read. Well, you kind of like books. (laughs) I personally have been listening to a book that teaches me how to enunciate my words better. Oh, because okay. Because I'm really bad at saying three when I mean free. Oh. Yeah, I know. Anyway, go to audibletrial.com slash answer report podcast. Get your free 30-day trial. Wow. That and free audiobook download. See, it's already working on me. It supports the show, and we appreciate it. And thank you to Audible for sponsoring us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Answer Report podcast. Now we're going to dive in to the sleeping realm theory. This theory um, is a there's a Google Doc of it, and it was put together by uh, a few people, but mostly it looks like three people: uh, Cal, who is at C Q U A E R on Twitter; Niku, who was at Niku. Soon? Soon, with T-S-U-N-E. And Gemma, who is at Sorwikus. And that they'll be all listed in the um, description for you guys. And they had another cre- more credits of people that helped them out with it, so be, be sure to look at that. But um, Thank you to everyone who Thank you to everyone involved in this. this. this is, Jason and I have read this, and it was like a... It was like a good read. It, it was like a, a... If you're like someone who really likes those theories, like maybe you, you look into like... Star Wars theories like mm-hmm. Jar Jar Binks is Sith Lord, and you're like, oh my gosh. If you like any of those speculation theories, but ones that are maybe more realistic, mm-hmm. and it's about one of your favorite games of all time, Kingdom Hearts, then you will love this theory. Yes. Okay, so this theory is predicated on that when we play Kingdom Hearts 3, our experience is the second timeline of that. That's why it's it's already happened. It's already happened. Um, and this second timeline takes place within the sleeping realm, or in other words, a dream. And that's not to be confused with, it's all a dream, it didn't matter, slash happen. It's more akin to an alternate timeline, right? Okay. So um, I'm, try- I'm trying to, like, I'm not going to read this it. word for word. I'm going to paraphrase some of it, because otherwise we'll be here all day. But um, if if you remember... 
in Dream Drop Distance. Dream Drop Distance is actually really important to this theory. Um, you visited Dream Worlds, right? Yeah. So, like, you went to the Hunchback of Notre Dame world, whatever. It was something French or something. <laughs> Some French place. And that was a dream world. Sleeping French and place. Those worlds were worlds that fell into darkness. Right. So, right before they fell into darkness, it made a copy of that world, basically. That's a dream world. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the sleeping realm. So, this is, like, where those worlds are kept. Okay. Basically, the sleeping realm... It, it, it's a little different than dream dream worlds, I guess, because dream worlds can't have heartless in them, right? Like in dream distance, that's why you fought the unversed. Yes. Yen Sid explains that. Um, blah blah blah. And that's why there's dream eaters and nightmares. Right, 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 right. So, and then this this is also very involved with Union Cross because, as the way I understand it, Union Cross originally was a game called, um, Kingdom Hearts Key. Yep. And um. For mobile browsers, or for it was a browser game, yes. not mobile browser. Sorry, for, it was a browser game that you could just play on your computer, kind of click through, right? And then they shut that down and came up with Union Cross, which is a retelling of that story, but it's in a it's in the realm of sleep. It's it's an alternate it's an alternate timeline. telling of what happened. So, um, yeah, that's pretty interesting. I didn't know that going into this theory. Did you know that? Yeah. Okay. Important thing to remember with this theory is time and fate, and this is a quote from from the theory here. Time and fate, as we understand it, are hard locked into place. If something is fated to happen, it's unavoidable and will absolutely guaranteed bet your bottom dollar come to be. And as young Xehanort says, you can move through time, but time itself is immovable. Okay. The only way we know to avoid fated events is essentially going on an alternate timeline or world line, which is what something they reference in the... Um, Secret reports in Kingdom Hearts 3. Okay. Where these events aren't destined to occur. Same world, slightly different fate. Unlike a dream world, an alternate world line is an entirely new timeline, even if within the realm of sleep. It continues past when the fated fall to darkness occurs simply because it wasn't fated. Okay. So, in Kingdom Hearts, when we see the, oh, the, as, as foretold, darkness prevailed and light, that's how that timeline, that world line was supposed to go. Right. Everybody was supposed to die. It was fated to happen. It was fated Nothing to could yes. stop it. Yes. Just like it was fated to happen for the Keyblade War to happen. Even though the, everyone was kind of trying to stop it and ended up, it was fated to happen, it was going to happen. Right. So, therefore, the Dandelions, they dive and they go to another world line, right? Right. So, and in the reports... Luju slash Zigbar kind of talks about that, and that's something that is starting to come to fruition. Like right now, the storyline's being more updated. They're releasing more stuff for uh, Union Cross, but you'll see how that parallels pretty closely with what this theory thinks about with Kingdom Hearts three. Here's the loose, too long, didn't read proposal of the timeline. Sora and company run through a most likely very different string of events the first time in the real world. Timeline one. Two, during the events of the Keyblade Graveyard, all fall to darkness, the demon tide or otherwise, just as the prophecy had foretold. Seeing as fate tends to be hard-locked into place, this will always carry to fruition so simple time travel wouldn't change much of anything. Three, in this first timeline, Riku still performs an act of true love self-sacrifice, saving Sora's heart while the new seven princes of heart keep Sora held together. We can't know much about the first timeline for sure, so this remains open. Four, with this, Sora's able to go to the final world, first visit, assumingly piece himself back together, and with the power of waking, put his whole heart into saving his friends. Five, this leads to the dive to the heart at the start of the game, now timeline two where we come in. This dive pulls everyone into a new world line within the realm of sleep to avoid the same fate at the hands of darkness. Completing the dive for the heart then drops Sora in the end of 2.9, timeline two. We then play through KH3 through to the Keyblade Graveyard where everyone falls to darkness. We hit the final world, second visit, just as we see in-game, and Sora is given a chance to save everybody's hearts since it isn't fated to end this way. Now, they have this um, this graphic, a, a, a visual aid, a graphic, which I'm going to put on screen if you're watching on YouTube. But basically, it shows um, the first timeline, everybody falls to darkness, Sora goes to the final world, he dives... And goes all the way back to the beginning, 
through a layer of sleep, and then it's the game we play. And that's able and then, to happen because of Riku's sacrifice. Right, and then at the end it says, Xehanort Gay dies after decades-long marriage <laughs> dispute, which I very I, much enjoy. It wraps it up pretty And clearly. what I really like about this theory is when I first read it, I was expecting to, like, have all the Ultimania knowledge kind of debunk some of it. Yeah. But they updated it with the Ultimania knowledge. So kudos to these guys. This is awesome stuff. Right. Uh, the Ultimania update on this says, Time travel at Keyblade Graveyard to save everyone's hearts has been confirmed by Nomura. Look, see where we said the second timeline went save everyone, time travel rewind, Xehanort Gay dies after decade-long marriage dispute? That's been confirmed. Including the Xehanort Gay dies after decade-long marriage dispute. <laughs> Nomura confirmed that he gay died. And they asked Nomura this, When we leave the final world, we are back to the point just before Sora and his friends were defeated. Why is that? And Nomura said, the power of awakening is essentially the power to put sleeping hearts back to the way they were. But the impact of forcing his friends' fading hearts back to the way they were rewrote, rewrote reality and created a singularity. The rewrite caused the chronolo- chronolo- why can't I read chronology today? chronology in which they were destroyed to have never happened. Strangely enough, even though you can see we called it in our visual timeline, this is what everyone keeps saying debunks the theory. We called it, dudes. The Ultimania backed us up here. Yeah, I don't get how people think that debunks the theory. No, I don't know. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. So, now the rest of this is a loose proposal, like we said, so take it with a grain of salt. Details can turn out to be wrong, of course, but it's the best we can do with what we understand. So, we are confident in what we are confident is in that the game we play is within the realm of sleep. This isn't the first timeline events. Riku's act of sacrifice is likely the anchoring point in timeline divergence, as it happens both times. The final world is visited several times, seen by us or not, as, shade, as stated by Chirithi. Basically, they're saying this happened before. Like right. We, we've seen something similar to this in Dream Drop Distance. Um, and also in the chess game where it shows he takes the Sora chess piece, puts it back to the beginning. Because he's a cheater. the new ones pop up. Because the he's seven a cheater. Lights. That's, our, that's, that's important to it's point stated. out. He's, he's a, a cheater. cheater. He's a cheater. And he says some light comes from the past. This line can mean several things. It could be the perspective of the lights from the past, first past timeline. It could mean anything to do with the past, like Kingdom Hearts Junior Cross, since the star designs are similar. We simply don't know, but it's important that seven of them are there. Because those are the seven people he, he saves right. by going for their hearts. So the dive to the heart at the beginning of the game is actually the second start of the second timeline that we play. Not that we play, but the second timeline. It's the timeline that we play. It's the second right. In the previous games, we were led into the dive to the heart tutorial with some kind of preamble, visual, or narrative. This time, for the first time, we've been dropped into it without anything signifying how or why. It's also always ended with whoever was doing the dive waking up afterwards. So what's otherwise a strange break in form, in fact, Sora's starting point for the game we actually play. And then what's interesting, and I didn't think about this, but at the beginning of the game... When you first see, you, you look like Kingdom Hearts 1 Sora. Right. And it says there are seven hearts to save. You're like, uh... I was like, oh, okay. the seven princesses of heart, right? That's what I thought when I first played through the game. Yeah. But we didn't even... They were just th- telling us, like, endgame stuff just right. right away. Right, exactly. And I didn't think anything of it because I was just so excited to play Kingdom Hearts 3. So then, um, something I've pointed out before when we've been playing Kingdom Hearts, but... The scene that happens once you pick your stats and everything is shot for shot the scene from Kingdom Hearts 1's movie where Riku is standing in the waves and he turns and holds his hand out. Um, Iconic scene. Iconic scene. Except in this scene, Riku is replaced by just a light. A bright light. Mm. Um, The ocean water has always been a symbol for darkness within the Kingdom Hearts universe. To the point that being in literal darkness is shown to be like water or drowning, and this time Riku is replaced with light. The literal light in the metaphorical darkness. Bonus. This could also imply Riku and his light have been with Sora watching over him from the very beginning of this journey, seen as Sora's first dive to the heart that were shown where Riku has been his dream eater. This is a good time to remember what Shirithi said just before sending Sora off. He said, look for the light in the darkness. Yes. Uh, Sora fights against the waves before being forcefully pulled away and recurring example of what the heart, literally as he's in his own heart, wants versus fate, outside forces pulling you away. The waves pull him away, and as he tries to follow Riku's light, he ends up in the final world. <clears throat> so then there's another Ultimania update that they put in here. They're saying it's confirmed important thing. The final world, a very a place very important to the story, appeared in the game, but what kind of world is it? And Nomura said, is a place where 
where those just a step from death arrive connect to the Station Awakening. Up until now, the Station Awakening was always a dark place where the floor was made of stained glass, where the condition of the inside of one's heart could be shown. But in this case, I made the final world a place where I could show that more concretely, a place similar to a portal to people's respective hearts. Within the game, it's said that sleep and death are intimately linked. So if one's heart were in a state of sleep and they found themselves in the Station Awakening, the idea is that if they moved on from there, they would find themselves in the final world. So, like, the final world is a place where those hearts are to to go to where they're, like, like, each heart has that dark stained glass place. Right. Right? And that if they moved on from there, then they would be in the final world. So it's, like, final world is, like, death, kind of. Like, it's, like, right before death, and then you're... If you are in your station of waking, which is your your stained glass area, that's that's basically like the step down from that. So it goes your stained glass place, then final world, then death. Uh, they they note here, which is important for later, that you save seven hearts after that. Not after that, but like jumping head in the game. When you're fighting the lich. When you're fighting the lich, you save seven hearts and not one of them is Kyrie. So now we're moving on Kingdom Hearts 2.9. Big joke aside, this is when the game explicitly tells you that KH3 hasn't actually started yet. Before we even get to the actual KH3 title screen, we have an entire world first and Riku's first scene in the Realm of Darkness. It's important to keep in mind that these two things are happening at the same time. So what do we see of Sora and Riku? The two of them in a state of transition. Their old clothes, old hair, right before where the trajectory of their journey changes. It's a solid and helpful dividing point pre and post drop. But it also serves as a means to set up an important point, the power of love and the strength that comes with it. So um, I want to say something right now that um, I think applies to this theory that they don't talk about. But when I was on the Suplex the Sticks podcast, shout out to those guys, they're awesome. uh, They talked about how Olympus in general, the character models there, everything seemed, uh, the graphics seemed just not as good as the rest of the game. And reading this theory, I almost feel like that was on purpose. That makes sense. Because our our thought was, oh, that's the world they made first, and then they moved on, and whatever. But I don't know why they wouldn't update the graphics. You know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense. Well, there there are certain points where it seems, like, really polished, like, in the cutscenes and stuff like that. The area where it's, like, raining and you're fighting the Rock Titan... But other than that, there's definitely some very different graphical yeah, it's, things. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. So they talk a lot about Riku and his love for Sora, that he um, has the motivation to, the strength to protect what matters. And what he means is to protect Sora, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a reference to what Tara says when he's getting the strength to protect what matters, and he was doing his... Oh, you're now a Keyblade wielder to Riku, right? Um, and it's really cool they point out that there's like a, a progression with Riku in that from the start, he's like, oh, to, to, to protect what matters. And then in the English version, there's, there's a little bit of a translation I have it pulled up right change. Here. And that Mickey, Riku- Mickey says to him, the, basically the line is trans, translated to, it's that you've grasped the strength to protect your important, cherished person, isn't it? So that's the line in Japanese, and they it's change very the translation. more specific. And they they uh, they Same relate this to Hercules and him, and him talking about Meg. And they use the exact same phrase in Japanese. Um, and Herc's got translated appropriately to person I love most, but in Riku's, they changed it to protect what matters. Right. Mm-hmm. So in yeah. Birth by Sleep, he says the strength to protect what matters. He's five. It's general, right? Um, he doesn't know what he wants to protect. He's five years old. You right. know. In Dream Drop Distance, when waking sore from slumber while answering questions about what's important, what's important to him, and all the canon answers about being <laughs> being about Sora, unsurprisingly. The phrase is appropriately upgraded to from stuff that matters to stuff that's precious. So it goes to stuff that matters, stuff that's precious to the person that's most precious, like to him. Right. So he, he's figuring out 
okay, this is stuff I care about. No, this is stuff I really, really care about. And then, okay, more specifically, who he cares about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's important because he he realizes that. And then in later in the game, he sacrifices himself to protect Sora in Dream Drop Distance and Kingdom Hearts 3. He's doing stuff to protect Sora. Right. And this this turns out to matter later. We're not just talking about this for no reason, I promise. So then we're going to move on to the drop. So if both Sora and Riku's segments are happening concurrently, when and where do they drop into sleep? Luckily, Riku's is incredibly easy to spot. After all, his hair didn't change because the Heartless were hungry. Like any and every example of starting up in a dream sleeping world, you start by waking up. And for Riku specifically, that is not the only sign of being in the realm of sleep. His hair changes to be way more similar to what it was in Dream Drop Distance. It basically looks like an HD kind of upgraded version of right of his hair. And his hair changes tremendously. And the same change happens in Dream Drop Distance. And they were like, oh, well, he's just, he's younger Riku now. And it's like, no, he's he's not. His hair just changed, you know. It's it's, it's a weird thing in Dream Drop Distance. Anyway, that's his Dream Eater hairstyle. Okay. And some people will be like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just a game. Well, like, that, that's why they don't notice, right? It's just an upgrade because as time goes on, their hair is going to change and people won't. Well, and the Realize point they it, make right? to combat that too is that yeah. later Axel distinctly comments on Kyrie's change in hairstyle, which shows characters in the world typically notice details like this. But Mickey doesn't say shit about Riku's hair. Right. Okay. So basically they're saying when Riku gets swallowed up by Aqua in the realm of darkness, that is when he drops to sleep. And they touch on this later, but basically he does the same exact animation as you would in Dream Drop Distance when you're dropping to change the Sora. Yeah, so for those who haven't played but have watched cutscenes and stuff, basically you would have a timer, like a countdown, where you would play as one of the characters, either Sora or Riku, and once that timer got all the way down, it would the game would basically pause you right where you were with that character and then switch to the other character, and you start playing them. There's a very specific noise and animation that happens when you're dropping to the other character. Um and Riku like does literally that exact animation. There's that sound. He changes his appearance to be exactly what he looked like in Dream Drop Distance. And so it I, honestly like there was so much going on that I did not even question this. <laughs> like one bit. Like no. oh like he's fighting these heartless, he gets swallowed and then he talks to somebody. Yeah. And then he goes into that animation and that you, I was just like, oh, he's getting swallowed by darkness. But it's literally the drop animation. Yeah, and then, oh, he wakes up and his hair's changed. And, and his keyblade's broken. Right. right. So yeah. it's, it's it's very, like, you, sh- you should be like, whoa, 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 what's going on? This looks like Dream Drop Distance. But because there was so much hype and we're like, oh, my God, what's going on? That just flies under the radar. Right. And um, right now we're, I'm actually going to take that clip of they play a clip um lining up the two sounds and so that clip is going to play right now uh you'll just hear it if you're watching or if you're listening to the podcast but if you're on youtube you'll you'll see it May your heart Who are you? Uh. Who are you? Uh. May your heart isn't that crazy, that clip? It's it's nutty. insane. It's nutty. Anyway, uh, Sora, when Sora drops. So you don't actually see Sora drop specifically, but we do see an overlap point. It tends to go forgotten since it's so early in the game and happens very suddenly, but it's the last possible second we see of Olympus as a world, right when Zigbar goes to say an important phrase. So it plays the same loud noise that happens to Riku when he drops. Mm. And it say, he says, may your heart, and then it drops. And I thought that was just for like, dramatic effect like uh, that's a scene i forgot about until sorry i hit my mic 
until we find out that Zigbar, spoilers, is lose you, right? Yeah. It's a scene I forgot about. And I, I remember going to Jason afterwards and going, dude, dude they, they told, told us. us that he's lose you. How else would he know that phrase, right? But they were also doing something different here because I was like, why? I, I'm Even then, I was like, why is there this dramatic hard noise that when he says it, you know? Yeah. It's um, just boom. Yeah. There's a timeline here that they have. They show Sora and Riku both in their worlds. And I'll have this up on the screen on YouTube. But... um. And when their drop point is, and then when they end up in the sleeping realm. Yeah. The realm of sleep. They talk about the logo thing here. Okay? Mm-hmm. And they don't they don't really have a point to this. So I'm not going to go too in-depth. But if you watch, if, if you have this open, I know I, I was, I, I, I think this is still kind of bullshit because I think it's just a gradient. But if you watch, it perfect. It purposely doesn't shine, you know? And so their point is, yeah, this probably doesn't mean anything, but... It definitely could. It definitely could, and don't be close-minded about these theory stuff, because Nomura does some weird shit. Um, Basically, like, pointing out, like, hey, it, there's, like, multiple layers to it, but... The common theory is like, oh, it's it's not Kingdom Hearts three because it's not full, right? Like there's there's part of it that's missing, there's part of it that's not light. Right. And they go on to say that this could signify something with Kyrie, and they have a lot of different things that they talk about with Kyrie we'll get into. Yep. Um but um basically saying, Hey, even just this title is showing you not all is is well, not all is what you think it is. Right. So moving on, they talk about why would we go into a dream world. Uh, And their answer is to avoid death. After 17 years, Kingdom Hearts introduces the concept of true death when the heart and body perish together. It's said that a person is made of the heart, body, and the soul. We know well the heart and the body. The soul, on the other hand, hasn't been a big factor until now. The soul itself is the literal life force of a person. It's the heart being cast out of the body that makes heartless and the soul and the empty body that forms nobodies. Dream worlds are introduced in DDD, and one of the first things they're introduced to is a safe haven, a refuge for lost souls. Joshua, Jason's favorite character, says as much. <laughs> he says, Something happened that brought their existence to an end. I gathered up the very last remnants of their dreams and looked for a place to give them refuge. It was then this world appeared to answer my call, to keep them from fading altogether. Here I thought they might have a chance that the pieces of their dreams could make them whole again. The world ends with UCAS died real and true proper deaths in their game. Joshua, looking for some way to fix this, brought them to a dream to heal. This is also exampled in Union Cross. When your player is dying in the Keyblade graveyard, you're visited by Ephemer and Scold, your dandelion leader friends. This is actually a flashback, one of the memories held from the first timeline of the Keyblade War. They try and save you by bringing your heart into the new world line into a dream. It's also worth noting that your player character in Union Cross, as well as Neku and his friends, remember nothing. Only the Dandelion leaders who were entrusted with this knowledge. The Dream Eaters and characters like Joshua with special powers retain their memories. So now we're moving on. That That's an important distinction that they're talking about where soul is something that matters. And in order to save your soul, sometimes you have to go into a dream in the Kingdom Hearts world. But now we're moving on to a section called Kyrie's Fate. So Kyrie is a big part of this theory, and I think uh, that's good because a lot of people think Kyrie's unimportant, and I don't and know if hate she, on her for. I don't it. know if she's any more important in this theory, but it it's it's pretty interesting where they go with this. Kyrie, for all for all she sadly doesn't get to do, is one of the bigger mysteries in all this. With a suspicious death, a missing heart, and a and potent symbolism at her disposal. It's safe to say she plays a bigger role than we're being presented. Is there any one reason for why a dream it would be this? The intro is predictive. Predictive. Predicative. Predicative. Let's intro with the intro. Throughout Kingdom Hearts, the cinematic intros have usually served as an interesting and artistic retelling of the events so far, usually as as a means to generally refresh the story, while also showcasing important emotional scenes. The exception being KH1, where it's mostly predictive and serves as a kind of prophetic dream, seeing as we didn't have any passage on. The Kingdom Hearts 3 intro sucks as a recap. At best, it's a watered-down version of the Dream Drop intro with a sprinkling of chess and a spicy little dash of Xehanort. (laughs) Spicy. Seeing as it skips over pivotal games like Chain of Memories, 
Stopping Dead Before Recoded, and most importantly, Dream Drop Distance, the direct lead in KH3, this intro sucks as a recap. It's because it's not supposed to be. Like Kingdom Hearts 1, this intro is predictive. Pretty predictive. <laughs> it serves a narrative purpose, functioning under pre- the premise of it being Xehanort's game. It's what he's planned, schemed, and interfered in over the years. We're seeing his setup. We never see any counterplay. We never see any of the pieces moved aside from his own. Just what he wants and where he wants it. The key piece he's trying to get to is Sora. The key piece he uses to get it is Kyrie. Oh, man. Kyrie, aware of it or not, is instrumental in making things happen. The long and short of it is the intro shows us events to come. Xehanort's control of events and Kyrie's inescapable fate. So, what's Xehanort's plan, Jason? What What is it? Xehanort's plan. What is it? Uh, is to get to Sora. Right. And to get Kingdom Hearts. Right. So, um, the one thing I thought was really interesting, and I have a gif of it here, which I'm not going to have, but basically, um, there's the part of the intro where it's like going by all the chess pieces. Like spinning. Spinning. And then it stops and centers on Kyrie's chess piece. The it's papu star. Fruit. And then it turns into the papu fruit. Well, the, sta- the star represents the papu fruit. Yeah, and she's hand feeding it. Yeah. In the, in the, in the cave symbol. Yeah. So they, they reference Anson Port 11, and I'm just going to read the excerpt from it. I've chosen a girl. I don't know if she holds the princess's powers, but I will find out. She may lead me to the key bearer. I shall set her free and observe. Okay. Dun, 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 dun. dun. That's from KH1. That's from KH1, guys. Basically, so in- he had Kyrie and set her free. To, to try and find Sora. Because he was like, this Princess of Heart is going to find a Keyblade. But it also, that's also back when we thought there was one Keyblade wielder. Yeah. And I think Nomura thought there was one Keyblade wielder. Yeah. Anyway, in Dream Drop Distance, young Xehanort is explaining how they, they call him young Master Xehanort throughout this document, and I don't like that. Yeah. I, Just I call him young Xehanort. He's not a master yet. He's explaining how they pulled this off, and we get a very missable hint. How did he know I would be here today? Simple. Young Xehanort says nothing but simple before there's a loud noise and the door swings open to the heart of the world. Kyrie. And Kyrie. All we get an answer is Sora yelling Kyrie's name before she phases through him and falls deeper into the nightmare. Kyrie is an unfortunate piece caught in a cruel game. Within this game, the few major things Kyrie's involved in is in involved in, in the intro actually I'm just reading it for words, sorry. Actually play out within KH three as a few focus scenes. This paints the idea that these key events were planned for or needed to happen. These key events being, one, the cave drawing, of which they make a very big point to show the drawing itself and then it be completed. Two, leading Sora out of the darkness. Cleverly disguised as callbacks, they just so happen to tell us exactly what she does within the game itself. Following on this, Sora is freed and, and opens the door for everyone else to follow. This, too, happens pretty directly in the game as Sora's return from the darkness results in saving everyone else as a result. So they're talking about after you save all seven hearts, Kyrie's kind of waiting for you in that, like, light-speed-looking tunnel. Yeah. And you didn't have to save her for whatever reason. Three, the final battle. The ending scene involving Kyrie continues this pattern. It starts with her and Sora reuniting on the beach a la the end of KH2. Finally reuniting after near-constant separation, they run towards each other only for darkness to strike. Every shot of this purple lightning strikes, darkness is at play. Whether it's influencing Xehanort himself or indicating his influence and plan, it goes off here, sprung like a trap. The camera zooms out, showing them helpless, small, and still separate. Showing us the chessboard, the game he's had control over since the beginning and how he worked to get these two pieces here. They are literally surrounded with no means of defense. This is more or less exactly what Xehanort needs. And then Donald and Goofy show up because they're, they're dope. They're the boys. So basically, that what they're saying is the intro movie is showing the trap to catch Sora mm. by using Kyrie. And in the intro, they talk about how it's constantly showing them being separated, um, and that they're star-crossed, which is a is a Shakespeare term, right? Star-crossed in, lovers, star-crossed, star-crossed lovers, Romeo and Juliet, where they're just not meant to be, but they want to be, right? To be or not to be, that um, is the question. They talk about the papu fruit scene. Because Sora seems really weird in it. And then Sora, I didn't notice this watching it. But I was so- looking for it, too. Sora takes a bite. They don't show him doing it. But his poppy fruit clearly is missing a chunk. That right. He, the one that she's holding towards him. And she don't take no bite. 
Kyrie don't take no bite. They use the word mounch here, and I like that. <laughs> um, they recreate the cave drawing, right? Basically. So why didn't Kyrie take a bite, Jason? <sighs> well, we don't know. We yeah. Well, well, there's there's a, a few speculations. Well, and that's like there's also where like she doesn't eat the ice cream and and stuff like that. So people are like, is this really even Kyrie? What is going on? And then there's the they also very specifically quote the scene where she says it's a good luck charm so that we won't be separated again. Wow. Then they also talk about in um, the Ultimania they talk to Sora's voice actor and they recorded two versions of that Palpu fruit scene. One of them being where they shared, where like they actually did share it, and then one where they weren't sharing Palpu fruit. Um, and so it seems like. Both of those ideas were being played with to where, oh, they don't end up sharing the Palpu fruit and that maybe they maybe they do, maybe they don't, maybe they're rejected. Like maybe they reject each other with the Palpu fruit or they go along with it. Um, and then now this is going to get us back to our discussion about the KH3 logo um, and how very clearly it shows everyone standing like in the final world kind of with um, the Kingdom Hearts giant heart in the sky being reflected down on top of them, and then the KH3 symbol like fading on top of them. Clearly, one of them being on top of Riku, one of them being on top of Sora, and one, one of them being on top of Kairi, like the three Roman numerals, right? Like the like I, I, I. One's on Riku, one's on Sora, and then the third one is the one that's on Kairi, and that's actually the one that's not complete. And so that's why a lot of people think that, that it was specific symbolism that they used um, to show that something, that either she is just missing light or that something is wrong. Um, and that that's like something that we I think we've talked about before where we're like, wait, if Kyrie is one of those seven lights, like Keyblade wielders... And Xehanort needs someone to fight, a light to fight the darkness to make that final keyblade to open Kingdom Hearts. Then why didn't it forge when he kills Kyrie? Right? right? Right. And so that's another thing that that really points to Kyrie not being genuine. Well, either yeah, either genuine there's a lot of things people are just like no one knows you know like it it could be that it's not really Kyrie. it's not that version of Kyrie. like something happened with with their trans like transitioning hearts with with shion shion taking over being that wielder of light um and when she gets killed she fades into like water ice kind of thing she crystallizes kind yeah, of yeah yeah very similar to how when shion dies in uh three five eight over two days um no heart comes out and whenever they've shown death of somebody who has a heart in previous games their their heart is what the camera focuses on and follows up but we don't see any heart she just kind of crystallizes um, yeah, and so that's another thing to be like, okay, well, if she doesn't have a heart, it makes sense as to why these things aren't adding up. And then we don't have to save her heart when the lich right takes everybody else's heart. Yeah, and they try to do some well, Kyrie special bullshit like they always do, but I don't think that's what's happening. Right. And another point that they that they make, so you could say, okay, Ansem sees that this girl's special in Kingdom Hearts One, releases her. But he's already probably done experiments and stuff on her, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's why she's in Hollow Bastion at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then forms that connection with Sora. And she ends up being a very key part. Like, oh, so Shion is Sora's memory of Kairi and stuff like that. And that those memories are very important for his heart and stuff like that, right? And And are part of what makes him strong. And then in the toy box world there's something that they go over where even if they're toys and they don't have hearts how do they have 
these connections, right, that are strong enough to bring them to life and all this stuff. And that's another theory that they're like, oh, they brought this up in not not just to make it so that, oh, now we have a reason to go to Toy Story World. There's a reason why there's organization is to be like, hey, maybe Kyrie is one of, is similar in that aspect that she doesn't really have a heart. But there's those connections through memories and stuff like that that make her come to life. Right. So it's right. pretty like, what the hell? <laughs> well, and then they try to tie it. I, I, we're not going to talk too much about this, but they try to tie her to the dark side you fight at the beginning of the game. The very beginning. Because it's made of a watery substance similar to how she looks when she dies. I don't know if I buy that. And then they talk about the cheerthy ears with Kyrie that are on her hood. I don't really know why they talk about that. But what's interesting about that is in the Pirates of the Caribbean trailer, the they removed the ears like rendered them out and they rendered, rendered them, them out in. for the trailer but then put them back in for the game and on some art they did in 2016 she has the ears on her hood there but they for whatever reason edited them out in pirates which is so stra- in the pirates trailer which is so strange right and normally like cheerthies are are very similar to like dream eaters so i i don't think they ever really they don't really come to a huge conclusion on Kyrie um that but other than she's not normal Kyrie, there's something off. Yeah, with Kyrie. They're not saying that it's not her, but there's something wrong at the very least. Right, right. That's going to be a good stop. There's a good stop. A good part for us to stop today. Uh, we figured this was going to be a multi-episode deal. There's it, a lot. <laughs> there's a lot left still. So next episode, uh, next week, we are going to dive even further into the sleeping realm theory, um, including dream portals. Dream Eaters, mechanics in mechanics game. of Dream Drop Distance, links, breathing underwater. A lot of stuff we talked about with Donald's magic they go into a little bit that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, but, yeah, so look forward to that. Thank you guys for joining us this week. And like I said, next week we will dive in even deeper. We'll dive into a sleeping realm ourselves. It will be the second time you guys have listened <laughs> to this timeline. It will. It will be... Yeah, so all I had to do was kill myself for Mike for you guys to hear this next right. We, <laughs> this we next had podcast to, episode. We had to stab our heart with a keyblade, fuse it, and then dive um, down. I live a whole year's worth of time. Right, dive back to come back and give you this. And information. you know what the 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 timeline veering was? What was in in, in uh, I confront HMK in the timeline and I take him down with my keyblade but in the other timeline where we the real timeline he actually defeats me he smites you down he smites me down so I dive back you dive (laughs) back and then kill him (laughs) and then it's really confusing it's quite a theory but it's not really me it's like it's it's my Jason yeah it's like my if you guys could see him right now he has cheerthy ears on his hoodie he's wearing yeah it's true. And on the buttocks of his pants. So he's actually two cheerthies combined into one. <laughs> kind of like little rascals in a giant trench coat. Yes, kind of, of like other. Vincent Adultman. <laughs> he's three he's three cheerthies standing on each other <laughs> to make a person. So it's actually quite impressive yes. that he took down HMK in that form. Anyway, this has been nonsense. If you want to uh, hit us up, talk to us, go to... Uh, on Twitter, hit us up at, at, at Spike Getty Bros. Email us at AnswerReportPodcast at gmail.com or leave us a dope review on iTunes or comment on this YouTube video if you're watching on YouTube. Yeah, what do you guys think? What do you guys think? Do you think it's so really far? Kyrie? Do you guys think Kyrie's a zombie? Do you think Kyrie's a ghost? Do you think she's a crystal lady? Do you think she's a dark side? Were you mad that you didn't realize that Riku looks just like how he looks in DDD? Because right. I was so mad. Right, I was pretty mad when I realized that too. And... If you're like, okay, this theory I feel like is going nowhere, it gets real juicy in the next part. There's, yes. There's some real juiciness and some stuff where some you... Some spice. Like, some stuff in Kingdom Hearts 3 where you're like, oh my wait a God. minute, I did think this was weird that Donald said this, but I didn't really pay any attention to it because I thought it was just bad Kingdom Hearts cutscene writing. Right, right. No, it just doesn't make it sense. It was all intentional. It's all intentional. So, if this theory is correct. So, we'll see you guys next week for that. Uh... Jason, would you like to do the honors? Ooh, okay, okay. May your heart be your guiding key. I, I kind of want to cut your 
<laughs> I, I kind of want to cut your heart be your guiding. No, he just does may your heart and his may your heart. Maybe I'll just take the that from the game. Yeah, okay. and put that in. That'd be okay. cool. Anyway, you guys will figure out, and you probably won't hear me saying this. So bye. Thank you.